Going Linux, episode 359. Listener feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want to send us feedback, our email address is goinglinux at gmail.com and our voicemail is 1-904-468-7889. In today's episode, listener feedback. Hey, Bill. Hey, Larry. How are you today? Okay, as always, we have a lot of email and we have a voicemail to start us off. So let's jump right in. This voicemail is from Meyer. Hi, Bill and Larry. I have been a user of Outlook and MS Office for quite a while. The slow demise of Windows XP and the push to Office 365, Outlook became buggy. A switch was then made to EM Client from Outlook and OpenOffice for MS Office. It uses several open source programs, Audacity, OpenOffice, QuietRSS, Veracrypt, Brave, and Firefox. So why not try another OS? Over this past Thanksgiving holiday, I YouTube various Linux topics, hardware reviews, installation, software instructions, and more. I visited several pine shops in the area and found a Dell Inspiration 7548 laptop for $175. It has an i5 and 6 gigs of RAM. This would be my gateway to Linux. I chose Ubuntu 18.10 because of its large driver base and great documentation. There isn't an Ethernet port or CD drive, so two USB sticks were used one for 18.10 and the other for the Ethernet to USB adapter drivers. Running 18.10 from the stick, the Wi-Fi and Ethernet adapter worked immediately, removing two worries. After a few days, a full install of Ubuntu. Exploring the various Linux podcasts, my first exposure to going Linux was show 356, Listener Feedback. Your show is great in helping a rookie in difference in its interaction with the feedback and show notes. Visiting past shows is on the agenda. Learn the terminal is the next challenge. Any tips? Next year I would like to purchase a new laptop and most of the re recommendations are Dell or System76. The complaint with System76 is battery life. Any thoughts on these or others? Hey, thanks for an exceptional podcast, Meyer. Well, thanks for that audio feedback, Meyer. Sounds like you are well on your way to going Linux. And as far as a recommendation on learning the terminal is concerned, you might want to jump back to episode 347 of our podcast. Uh, entitled Using the Terminal, and there is also a reference to this resource that might be helpful to you, and we'll include this in the show notes, of course, the Linux Command Line, a Complete Introduction by William E. Schatz, Jr., and that's a book you can order on Amazon 
like I said, we'll have a link in the show notes. And as far as recommendations on hardware built for Linux, we have an article on exactly that computer hardware designed for Linux. We'll include a link in the show notes to that article on our website. And between Dell and System76, those are two very good options for you. And yes, uh, the System76 folks don't quite or haven't historically quite um, had the battery life that other models, especially the Dell, has had. However, I do think that in their more recent models, they've addressed that. Some of those recommendations that say that the battery life is an issue may be a bit old. They've recently refreshed their uh, line of products. So just check the specs on them and see if it's acceptable to you. And if it's not, then definitely the Dell... Uh, XPS developer edition line is very good. It's more expensive typically, uh, but um, it's it's the one I use and its battery life is more than adequate. In fact, it is it lasts me essentially all day on one battery charge and I'm quite happy with it. So if that's what you're looking for is long battery life, the Dell is certainly a good option, but I'd check out System76 to see if they've made some improvements there. Okay. Um, so our next email comes from Joey, and he says it's an awesome podcast. Please tell me secrets. Where is music, Netflix keys, movies? I have a thousand songs I want to give to public. How do I allow others to download? I am using Mint. Where is best site to learn Mint? Joey. Okay. Well, best site to learn Mint. Mint has, uh, if you go on their website, they have some documentation there, some getting started guides that might help you out. Uh, their forums are have a lot of information, a lot of discussion you can discuss with other people to provide you with whatever secrets you're interested in. I think secrets about Linux Mint rather than personal secrets that you know, we're probably yeah. not appropriate to share on a podcast um, <laughs> yeah. for, for a number of reasons. In yeah. Um, and as far as you, know, you have a thousand songs you want to give to public, um, uh, Internet Archive, you might want to check that out. Uh, a lot of people put, uh, you know, uh, stuff there for sharing. But be careful if these are songs that you do not own the copyright to, don't even attempt to share them with no. public. Uh, that's not something that Internet Archive or other places will let you do. Uh, and if you try to, they'll delete what you put up and you'll be very frustrated. So that's just a warning. Yeah, Joey, uh, you know, rereading your uh, your email you sent to the podcast, when you say Netflix keys, I guess you're uh, thinking of maybe... Uh, keys that you can use to get free netflix and uh movies and uh and then you wrote i, I you have a thousand songs you want to give to public uh i want to make i want to discourage you from if they're your songs that you wrote or you have the rights to please you know share them but we uh don't endorse any type of pirating as far as um Movies that you don't, you can't legally share, and songs that you 
can't legally share. And, um, you know, let's respect the copyright. I mean, it might be broken, but we don't want to do anything to give Linux users or any users a bad name as far as, you know, uploading uh, things they shouldn't for people to download. So let's, you know, if, if you want songs, um, you, there's places you can get them legally and uh, yes you know the artists work hard uh the movie the actors work hard so wh however you feel you know uh, pirating is uh illegal and so please don't do it and also you know let's support if you if you like the music go ahead and support them uh there is a great uh site if you're looking for music called uh I, i'm going to get this wrong gem Jim Den Denio, you know what I'm talking about, Larry? Jimendo? Jimendo, okay. See, yeah. I can I murder anything. Jimendo has uh, music that you can download. They have all kinds of uh, stuff from independent authors uh, and stuff. Uh, I had like one of the uh, people, uh, artists, they're called Butterfly T because they pr uh, make some really cool stuff. So give those guys a try, and you can legally download them and share them and everything. Uh, just make sure you check their licensing. But I believe, uh, I think everything there you can share without limit. So good luck with uh, finding what you need. And um, yeah. Okay. And Joey, if you're in one of the countries that, uh, like China, that does not respect other countries' um, uh, licensing and trademark and copyright laws, um, I'd suggest you look internally in your country as to where to do things like that. But uh, it's not something that you're going to get much support for outside of those kinds of countries. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Moving on to Michael, who wants to know about learning Python programming. Hi, Larry and Bill. Could you possibly point me in the direction of beginning to learn a programming language such as Python? I have just installed HexChat which I have possibly managed to get working with Orca only. I didn't see anyone else answer my question about learning Python in the chat window of HexChat. So I couldn't be sure if it had connected properly or if I was unlucky and didn't see anyone answer the question. All the best for going Linux, Michael from West Yorkshire in the UK. All right. So hmm, as far as HexChat, uh, unless you connected to a chat room that is talking about Python, uh, you may not get a response because nobody knows the answer. But Bill, do you have any suggestions as to where Michael might go to learn Python programming? Um, so is Michael a blind user? Yes. Okay. So that's what I thought when he said Orca. Um, so I know you can go to YouTube and there are a bunch of videos. I, I know he can't see the videos, but he can listen to the videos and they, uh, there's different ones that are like starting with Python, um, you know, which versions of Python, I mean, everybody. So see, I don't know, uh, if he could, um, maybe find a, audio source i don't know a long time ago they used to have what they call uh, books on tape for the blind but i don't know if they still do that um 
I had a friend who used to get them, and they used to cover a bunch of different uh, uh, subjects um, that you could you could get. But no, besides YouTube, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking things of non-visual ways. Uh, I would say I bought uh, the a big book from O'Reilly. Is it O'Reilly? Yeah, O'Reilly. Uh, that was really good about you know from from nothing to being able to write some stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So I would suggest if maybe um, maybe use YouTube as your source and type py- uh, Python and uh, lessons and see what you find. Yeah, and there are a couple of other resources. I can't vouch for the accessibility of Code Academy, but I do know that they have a lot of courses on a lot of different things, and they have one on learning Python. Uh, and they uh, uh, will include a link in the show notes to to the Code Academy. Now, I think you need to pay for their courses, but there's also a free interactive online tutorial on learnpython.org that you might want to check out. Again, I haven't used either of these for uh, learning Python, so I can't vouch for either one of them, but just a couple of suggestions as to places to look. Yeah, good luck, uh, Michael. Let us know if you find something. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we have another Michael uh, who comments on episode 342. Hi, Larry and Bill. If your first listener, Mike, is a ham operator and wants to get off Windows, he should be able to get it done by listening to older episodes of the Ask Noah show or emailing the host Noah Chilea. He's a ham operator, among other things, who is fully dedicated to running Linux as much as possible. The website is http www.asknoahshow.com. There's an email button, and if Mike clicks on show notes, there will be a search link at the top of the page. Searching on ham will yield four episodes where Noah talks about ham radio technology. Cheers, Michael. Okay, yeah, uh, so. I know there's a lot of ham operators that like to dabble, as I said, because we're all very, um, we all like to get our hands dirty for some, in one way or another. And uh, I think uh, what Mike was wanting software for um, controlling his rig, and unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, uh, of the rig. A rig is a short hand, or just a, a a slang term for his radio. Uh, some of it you can't do it because it's all closed proprietary software to control all the the tunings and power levels and all that other jazz that it does. So I know they have some really good Linux logging software that people use on what a field days and what a field day is is where they go out and try to contact as many people as they can and you know distances and they and they use a log to to keep track of all their contacts and i've used uh, some of the linux uh, logging i can't remember what the name it was but it worked really well and some of my uh, ham friends also used it and they like it so yeah that's a good that's a good suggestion and uh thanks again yeah and for new listeners to the podcast um we get a a a few uh, you know, our fair share of questions on ham radio topics, uh, partly because the Linux supports ham radio operators quite 
well with the software that, that is provided in Linux, especially the Debian distributions, Debian-related distributions, and also partly because Bill is a ham radio operator, and that's one of the reasons why he ends the show every time with 73. That's kind of the ham radio operator's way of saying goodbye, right? <laughs> um, yes. So, uh, so there you go. Yeah, so good luck, and... Uh... Let us know what you find. I mean, I always like to, if you find something new or something works really well, uh, please share it. Okay. And Angelo, another uh, ham radio operator, also provides some help. He says there's a program called Chirp. It's open source. The Windows program is not accessible, but the Linux version is very good. It works with several different radios, 7.3 and 2DYN Angelo. I've heard of Chirp. So our next email comes from John, and he said has feedback on snap packages. For my work computer running Windows 7, I installed Oracle VM VirtualBox. I have installed Ubuntu Mate, but I decided to give snap a try. I first tried snap install hello, and it worked. I then tried snap install GNOME Calculator and snap run gnome slash calculator and it also works so i guess when they say universal package manager they mean a gnome application will run in mate well john um not really (laughs) (laughs) so universal package manager uh really means that you can package any application to run on any Linux distribution or even cross-platform, uh, regardless of the desktop environment. And Mate is or Mate is a desktop environment, and GNOME is a desktop environment for those who are just getting into Linux for the first time. Uh, and quite frankly, you can install GNOME packages on Mate on a Mate desktop or on a KDE desktop or on any other desktop, and they will run because the underlying system is Linux, regardless of the desktop. Now, when you install a KDE application on a GNOME desktop or vice versa, sometimes they don't display correctly because it's the display manager that displays it. And sometimes the uh, uh, applications are written to take advantage of specific display functionality in the desktop environment that they're geared to support. So... um, it doesn't happen all the time. It happens just with some applications. Uh, the other thing you'll notice if you watch when it's installing is, especially with KDE applications on other desktop environments, the KDE applications typically depend on a lot of KDE uh, specific functionality, and they will download along with the application a lot of libraries and utilities and KDE specific uh, support programs. So you may end up filling up your hard drive more than you intended by installing one single package because it's downloading a lot of KDE related dependencies. On the other hand, if you have more than one KDE package, now they're all going to be using the same dependencies that you've downloaded. Um, when you use snap though, it's really independent of the desktop environment. Uh, so when you're using Snap, it really has nothing to do with running one kind of application on a different kind of desktop environment. It's just a way of packaging it up so that you can install it uh, to make it easier to install and to maintain and to update going forward. So 
that's really what a universal package manager is. It's just a way of providing the software in a format that isolates it from other applications and updates and makes it independent of the operating system and the desktop environment that you're using. Another good way just to keep, just to kind of give you a visualization, uh, John, is the flat and snap packages. Consider them like containers. They have everything needed to run that program. I think that might be the easiest way to kind of understand when you're playing with snap packages and flats that they're all like little containers with everything they need to run the program, if I understand it correctly. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Okay, uh, John, hopefully that helps. Now we have a um, an email from Sean that'll take us a little while to read through. We've split it up into a couple of parts because it's a bit long. Okay. And he covers three topics of listener feedback. Number one, the initial steps from your talk on moving from Windows to Linux part one sounded difficult for many who may be interested in trying out Linux. These are beginners after all, and many of these initial steps of creating a bootable medium might be completely foreign to them. And many people don't even have an optical drive for their PCs anymore. So I recommend that the first step for people is to buy a copy of Linux from a reputable source. One place I recommend is osdisc.com. I have no affiliation with them. CDs, DVDs, and USB drives are modestly priced there. And it is much easier for a potential Linux user to pay $6 for a disk or a little more for a USB drive and wait a few days for it to arrive than it is for some people to get an optical disk drive, attach it or install it into the computer and then take care of all the downloading, verifying, burning and booting of disk image from an optical drive. And even for experienced computer power users, sometimes getting a USB drive to boot on startup is like black magic with worrying about hardware compatibility and correctly setting up things and copying them over with an outfit like osdisc.com they take care of all the difficult work and worry for you and when you buy a disc from someone reputable you have someone to turn to when things don't work out right broken medium unbootable situation etc and even before you go that far if you have a linux friend then ask him if he would be kind enough to give you a tour of his Linux setup or walk you through trying out the software, which is included with a live DVD. If you don't know any such person, then I recommend watching such a walkthrough video online to get an idea of what to expect. All good suggestions, Sean, and we didn't mean to overlook the possibility of purchasing a copy of Linux from OSDisk.com. Yeah. So he continues and with the second point is, is why do we use Linux? People have many reasons. Ex-Microsoft users have specific reasons. Have Here's a reminder of some. It used to be that people only used Windows. Now Windows uses people too. After all, users of Windows are used as guinea pigs to beta test software. Microsoft calls it home edition <laughs> there are they are used... careful sean don might get upset at yes that. yes sean, <laughs> don might not like that um they are used to distribute software using their own money for the electricity and bandwidth peer-to-peer distribution of software patches patches and they are used as a targets for marketing paid advertisements delivered by the os auto installed apps even with a fresh OS install. For shame, Microsoft, for shame. 
But hey, at least trends are changing the world away from closed OSs by Microsoft, Apple, and the like toward free OSs like those based on Linux, such as Android. And Linux is even used in many of today's modern EFI, UEFI setups, even if people don't realize it is running on their PCs. And he writes, his third point is, Bill, do you belong to a guild in Guild Wars 2? And if so, which one? Thanks, Sean. NZ17, uh, Vernal, uh, Utah. Uh, okay, so anybody that doesn't play Guild Wars, please ignore the following. Yes, I am in, uh, in a guild, and it's on the Hinge of Durabi, uh, and it's called Illuminating Darkness. And uh, what I'll do, Larry, do you have his email? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, if you'll form me his email, I'll send him all the details of who he can, how he can send me an in-game message, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay. Sounds okay. good. Thanks, Sean. Okay. Uh, Michael resolved his DVD playing issue and asked about podcasts in Rhythmbox. Hi, Larry and Bill. I now have DVDs playing in Linux. I inserted my original DVD of The Ark in Space. It came up with the information that it was a BBC DVD, and I think the year it was out as well. When I was asked how I wanted to open the DVD, I used the down arrow to move through the list of applications I might be able to use to open the DVD. I picked VLC Media Player at the bottom of the list and pressed Enter, and then tabbed Right to OK it. Hitting enter on the button after tabbing to the OK button launched the DVD and played it. What I did before was to just try to open DVD with VLC player without going down the list of apps. So obviously the system didn't know what to do, which was why the DVD I tried just spun and then stopped without bothering to attempt to play it. Now that I have that fixed, how do I subscribe to podcasts in Rhythmbox? I can locate the podcast folder, but can't show a list of podcasts or search for them. All the best, Michael from Meltem in the UK. And you might have picked up on the fact that Michael is a blind user or sight-impaired user as well. Okay. Um, yeah, so we have an article on how to subscribe using Rhythmbox. It's on our Going Linux website. It's under articles. Uh, and it, it, it at the very top of every page, there's a subscribe button. Uh, if you click on that, it takes you right there. But we'll have a link directly to the subscribe article that talks about how to subscribe using different software on different operating systems. Uh, one of the paragraphs there is how to subscribe using Rhythmbox. And uh, if you have trouble uh, following those instructions, let me know because I have tried to write them so that they're accessible as well as, you know, give the screenshots that you might need as a sighted user to, to uh, do the subscription. But uh, uh, that should help you out, Michael. Yeah, good luck, Michael. So our next email comes from Tim, and he has info on an Acer SB111-32N. He writes, Hey, I recently purchased an Acer Spin 1 and did not want to run Windows 10 that comes with it. Windows is large, and this laptop does not have a very 
does not have very beefy hardware. Even though it is solid state and has a quad core processor, Windows 10 makes it feel s slow and laggy. This laptop has an Apollo Lake pro processor and is giving me many issues due to the fact that it is a UEFI only BIOS, making the Grub bootloader inoperable. I make sure I boot into UEFI mode but every time I try to install a bootloader, it freezes and a hard shutdown is required. Arch will boot from a live USB and install goes fine until the bootloader segment. I am waiting on fast Wi-Fi to download a respun ISO of Ubuntu designed for Apollo Lake processors. Hopefully, this ends up working. Any insight you have on this particular problem would be helpful. I I am also aware of Linux Mint modification using Nomad set, having tried it, but so far nothing has worked. Okay, so Tim, yeah, the, the Acers, especially the inexpensive Acers, uh, I've noticed uh, that come with Windows 10 uh, when they were coming with Windows 7, I think it was, or maybe it was Windows 8, they had some sort of stripped down version of windows that was kind of a personal use addition with a lot of features disabled. Uh, and even those ran very sluggishly on some of the underpowered hardware that, that Acer provides in their inexpensive computers. So I'm not surprised you're having this problem. I'm thinking that if it's using UEFI, that maybe the problem you're running into is that you need to disable secure boot or put it into legacy mode or something like that. And if you can find the key sequence, it sounds like you have to get into the BIOS or the UEFI um, settings. Uh, there should be somewhere on there to disable uh, secure boot. It may say that, or it may say use legacy mode or some other things that imply that it's going to become less safe. And in fact, UEFI is a, it's a method of making booting more safe, uh, but it also has a side effect or even the intended effect of uh, allowing you only to install software that's been signed by the original manufacturer, that being Windows in this case. So um, what you're doing is you're disabling that, which in theory makes it less safe, but you know, you're, you're trading the boot safety for the safety of Linux uh, yeah. ability to insulate you from malware and viruses that Windows, quite frankly, hasn't been able to do in the various versions that they've had since, you know, Windows 3 <laughs> or yeah. even Windows 1. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, yeah, uh, give that a try if you haven't already. And if you've already tried that, um, you might want to try out that no mod set. A suggestion from Linux Mint. Uh, I believe that is uh, likely to work for you on Ubuntu Mate as well. Yeah, and uh, while we were talking, I did my uh, super detailed research on Apollo Lake because I've heard about it and everything. And apparently Intel says it's the uh, Intel's generation of a system on chip serving as a successor to, to Brasswell, I guess that's what the hell they say it. These chips are said is primarily targeted to two-in-one devices, low-cost laptops and desktops, and all-in-one PCs. 
it goes on and I was just looking to make sure you had his micro architecture and it's his and it's an x86-64 oh, okay. uh 64 bit um clock speeds are 1100 to 2000 megahertz so yeah I just wanted to make sure that that wasn't a weird one where it wouldn't allow him to install it like maybe it, I've actually uh, uh had a friend who wanted to install Linux and he had one of these little small laptops and what happened was the processor in it was only 32 bit, but it was trying to install 64 bit, so it didn't work. Oh yeah, yeah. So I, I was just making sure that it was uh, um, 64 bit, but it does look like it is. Okay. All right. Well, good luck. Uh, uh, hopefully, you are able to get things running there, yes. Tim. Okay. Uh, the next email is from Sergio. Greetings from South America. Hi there. I've discovered your web page slash podcast a few months ago, and man, I am impressed with the topics you cover, the way you explain it, the dynamics between the host and co-host. I'm not a programmer or a web developer or an IT person, just an everyday computer user, and the content you talk about is great for an audience that wants to make the switch to Linux. Well, Sergio, that's exactly the audience we're intending to address. Um, I started my Linux adventure, or GNU Plus Linux adventure, just kidding, since the days of Debian Lenny. Using it since that day, I'm now on Debian Stretch, as my primary operating system at home to do whatever I need. Watch videos, listen to music, reports, a little image editing, and so on. Because of Larry reading his book, by the way, just convinced myself to install the Mate desktop on my Debian box and, finally, a desktop environment that works the way it should. The problems I had with the other desktop environments were GNOME. I can't adjust the brightness with the FN keys, the function keys, no matter what. A lot of workarounds without success. KDE. Impressive low RAM consumption, but feels a bit slow for my taste compared even to GNOME, plus workarounds for sound and function keys to adjust brightness. Cinnamon. No, just no. <laughs> Mate. Hey, hey, low hey. I like, <laughs> I like that. Okay. Yeah. Mate. Low RAM consumption. Function keys just work. Audio is stable is incredibly fast and snappy. I'm sold on Mate right now, using it a couple of months now, a lot just to be sure, and never disappoints me. Anyways, just stop desktop environment hopping because Mate gives me everything I need to work, relax, play, and do everything on my computer. Thanks for the great content. Keep uh, doing your great job. Greetings, Sergio. Well, thanks, Sergio. Thanks for the kind words. And yeah, the Mate isn't going to be for everybody. I'm glad it's for you, and I'm glad it works. Hey, did he pay you $10 for that advertisement, Larry? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then why why do you have a new uh, cup there? Okay, just, just point that out. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the great things about Linux is you, you can find a desktop that works for you. So... Thanks for letting us uh, know what's working for you, Sir Joe, even though you harshed on cinnamon. That's okay. I'm not hurt. <clears throat> Moving right along, Stefan, and he went, used applications. Hi, Larry and Bill. Here's a list of applications I used to get things done with Linux. Thunderbird. 
Why? Not to play games, but to use Windows programs that cannot be replaced. For example, to do special astronomical image processing and to use other astronomical programs or software to create photo books. Huggin to create uh, panorama images. Puddle tag for tagging audio files. Lossless cut to cut MOV files without losing anything. Free file sync, Blue Griffin for editing HTML files, meld to diff files or directories, GFTP, Psi Renamer, OneCloud Desktop Sync, Dupe Guru, KeepPass, VirtualBox, GW, WinFF, and JAlbum. Best regards, Stefan. Okay, Larry, first off, where did some of these names come from? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where the names come from. Most of these, uh, surprisingly, I've heard of. Some of them I haven't. Uh, my favorite is pu uh, Puddle Tag. Yeah, Puddle Tag. That's one That's I awesome. hadn't heard of before. Yeah, and uh, the ones that I have heard of I know are very good software, and the others I might look into. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm into the astronomical image processing, though. But uh, the rest of them, yeah, a very, very good list. Thank you for sharing that, Stefan. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Andy writes, I have gone Linux. I am not a longtime Linux user or a listener of the Going Linux podcast. I have recently got fed up with all of the Microsoft failures I have lived through and decided it was time to remove them from personal daily use. I work for the government, so unfortunately I have to use Windows 10 on my work desktop. I had been using and building Windows-based computers since DOS 5.0 and was considered and called a Windows fanboy by many. The, the failures that got me to switch were all of the things Microsoft provided and then took away, such as Xbox Gold subscription for the family, no limit. Then, taking it away. Let's not forget the red rings of death, too. The family room on the Windows phone, the Windows phone itself, and the final straw was Windows 10. Not only did they take away the codecs that had traditionally been installed, they killed off Windows Media Center. I am not including in the list of Microsoft's failings things like Microsoft Bob, Microsoft gasp choke me millennium edition and vista i think you just did andy <laughs> about a week or two before you review your review of linux mint 19 i decided to install a new ssd and install mint 19 on my system i also started listening to your show because of that episode i am very happy with mint 19 i have installed it on both my desktop and laptop there were some issues to overcome. My camera and smart card readers were not compatible, but those issues have been resolved. I just wanted to give you some background and thank you for what you do. Andy in Oklahoma. Yay. See? Yeah, another Gone Linux uh, story. Yeah. There you go. And uh, sorry to say this, but Don, here's another person who had some problems with Windows 10. So, hey. Yeah. But I'm glad he went with Linux Mint. At least I got someone to go to Linux Mint. No, actually, I didn't get that. Okay. Hey, way to go, Andy. You let me know how you like uh, 19. Uh, that's Terra. And they got a new version coming out soon. So let me know how you like it if you upgrade. Yeah. 
And hey, you know, I was all about Linux Mint for a while as well. So there you go. <laughs> Our next episode will be Run Your Business on Linux Part 2. Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinks.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. For now, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.